your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Wednesday. A Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Is it Wednesday? No, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Dang it. 608-785-7914. I'm always thinking a day ahead. I got so many things going on. Coming up on the show, Steve Alicara is a Senate candidate. One of, I believe, five left trying to replace Ron Johnson. After that, Juan Jimenez, the lacrosse school board candidate, not candidate, president, lacrosse school board president. He's going to come on. If you haven't heard, there was a another interesting lacrosse school board meeting, I will say. And Rob Abraham, the one of the school board members, resigned, kind of in protest for a couple of things that are happening with the district or, or not happening, depending on how you want to think of it. The $195 million referendum, a letter from school superintendent in reference to that referendum, which I said yesterday you know, was the letter was the letter kind of a threat? I don't know how that letter plays out. So if you if you don't know, the Lacrosse School District is put on the November ballot, a hundred ninety five million dollar referendum to essentially turn a train headquarters on the south side of Lacrosse into one high school. So instead of Logan and Central, we just have Lacrosse, Lacrosse High School. I don't know what we would do with the mascot. It'd be some kind of combo. A river hawk and a ranger, river ranger, something, something like that. Probably down the road, probably a little bit down the road. But the, uh, you know, there's the dilemmas there are pretty obvious that having a school way on the south side. I laugh at this because, you know, kids on the north side will have to ride on a bus. I said, I live like 15 miles from school. <laughs> It was the first one on the bus and the last one off the bus. So, you know, the five-mile bus drive, bus ride or whatever it would be to the, the train area from the north side of La Crosse, kind of laughable to me. Also, my bus not going up and down blocks. So I don't know how that works. I don't know how buses in town work. Back when I was a kid, we used to walk uphill both ways in snow, six feet of snow to school, so... I don't know what these kids are complaining about. Oh, we'll have to ride the bus for 20 minutes. (laughs) But that's one of the things that people bring up all the time. Oh, all the north side kids will have to ride the bus for 20 minutes, so they'll go to Onalaska. Does the Onalaska bus pick kids up? Are they going to walk to Onalaska? Are they going to drive to Onalaska? Are they going to bike to Onalaska? Is Onalaska a better school if we're building a brand new school on the south side of the cross? think maybe I think maybe I'd want to go to a brand new school versus on Alaska but I don't know the other dilemma there is if the referendum doesn't pass Engel put out a letter that said that essentially one of the options would be to consolidate the high school to central so eliminate Logan as a high school and then all the kids would go to central and you know, I would I would assume there would be quite a bit of renovating in the central building to to change, you know, to equip that to handle. You know, it's not going to be would it be double the kids? I guess it would if there's even amount of kids going to both schools. 
Um, but the the whole point of all this is that the population is declining there in the student population. So maybe it would go down a little bit after a while. So I don't know. It was a long, it was a long letter. So, and you know, it said in the next five to 10 years, we must consolidate into one high school so we can continue to provide small class sizes and opportunities. Our students need to be prepared for the future. Well, if you don't consolidate, you'll have really small class sizes, right? If you keep double the schools. Um, but that's like five, ten years down the road. So, you know, all this stuff is kind of projected a little bit. But have we put off a lot of this stuff, you know, for how many years have we put off a lot of this stuff? And now it's it's all coming to head. The uh, The buildings that the schools have right now are all in need of quite a bit of updates the infrastructure these buildings uh you know they they put out a, a release months ago uh these buildings are costlier to maintain and so out of date they no longer meet today's modern educational needs deferred maintenance needs is at 81 million dollars while the annual budget to work on these buildings is $1.2 million. The five oldest buildings in the district have $25 million in infrastructure costs. So $81 million in deferred maintenance at this point. And the five oldest buildings the district wants to probably just eliminate. I don't know what you do with the five oldest buildings. Sell them. Give them away. Update them so that you can use them. Sell, I, don't, I don't know. Turn them into Chick-fil-A's. But uh, yeah, so 25 of the $81 million in that five old, oldest buildings. But then you, you still have the rest of that in deferred maintenance. Why is there deferred maintenance? Is that the state's fault? Is that the district's fault? Is, are we just kicking the can down the road? And now at this point, we're like, no, we got to stop kicking the can down the road. We got to do something about this. Can we use ARPA money? I don't know. A lot of questions. Not a whole lot of answers. Maybe, look, maybe Juan Jimenez at the bottom half of the hour can, can give us some. Rob Abraham, who resigned yesterday at the school board meeting, will be on with Mike Hayes tomorrow at some point. Not exactly sure what time, but you'll just have to tune in. I'm guessing uh, one of the 50s after the hour. See how old, how early Rob gets up in the morning. 608-785-7914. If you want to shoot me a text, feel free. i got to take a break. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. You want to shoot me a text? Steve Alicara is on with me now. I'm here. All right. Nick, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Steve is one of five candidates running to replace Republican Ron Johnson in the U.S. Senate here in Wisconsin. Uh, there were there were a baker's dozen of you at one point, and and now uh, lately we've had we've had two people drop out: uh, Godlewski and uh, Tom Nelson. And it, it, for for all intents and purposes, everybody is is handing this to Mandela Barnes. I don't, how do you feel about that when when that's kind of the general consensus? Well, it's party leaders who have uh, mobilized uh, over the last couple of weeks to uh, try to uh, decide the election before the election happens. And anytime this happens in politics, there are usually unintended consequences. And so we're going in very unpredict into a very unpredictable situation uh, where we came away as the winner of the debate, the only televised debate, according to the pundits. And our campaign has been surging basically since then. And now you've had some candidates drop out. 
we're hearing from a number of former supporters of those campaigns, uh, especially those who are more anti-establishment, want to change the system, who are now getting behind our campaign. And the most important thing is that the voters deserve their for their have their voices heard. And um, Wisconsin has actually a pretty proud history of this going back to the progressive era with fighting Bob LaFollette, who helped to spearhead uh, the nation's first presidential primary where voters got to decide which candidates would be on the ballot as opposed to uh, party leaders in smoke filled rooms in the back, you know, uh, uh, creating those. So um, this is very important. Uh, the election is on uh, and there are real choices and uh, we'll be on that ballot. I've had this conversation a couple of times just with myself on the show, with others on the show. Um, and when, and when the, in the Republican governor's race, you see these two in Clayfish and Tim Michaels. Sorry, Tim Ranthan. Uh, even Tim Ranthan, to, to an extent, uh, they're going after each other. They're really they're they're really attacking each other, putting it, you know, trying to point out their faults. A lot of it has to do with money, which I think you're. You, you have a big uh, investment in, in, in just the, the way campaign finances are happening. But um, I, I, I feel like in, a thir- in our third U.S. House district here in Wisconsin and then the this, this Senate race, so statewide race in Wisconsin, you, you candidates have not gone after each other as much. Um, do you regret that? Is that, you know, I, I, I feel like there's, the, you know, we might we, we might need to do that a little bit to point out each other's faults just just to have like an yeah. honest debate about this stuff. Absolutely. Uh, we do need to draw out the contrasts because there are real differences and voters have real choices to make. The media has not reported on those contrasts and nor did they uh, provide those opportunities. So as an example, there was a debate before the TMJ4 debate that got canceled up in Wassa at the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service. Uh, it got canceled because three of the establishment candidates dropped out and didn't want to have a real debate of ideas. I still went up there, recorded a video, and called them all out for uh, being scared. And we can't have a candidate who's running scared into this general election. So I think the main issue there, Rick, is that um, there haven't been those platforms available for the back and forth and for the contrasts to be drawn out. Uh, but I do think those contrasts right now are quite clear. Uh, you know, I think that Wisconsinites are fit into what I call the exhausted majority. They think their elected leaders are completely out of touch. They only care about scoring political points as opposed to getting things done. And as a result, we've become so divided. And I'm running as a candidate who is actually has federal legislative experience. I've helped to pass 35 bills through Congress. That the lieutenant governor does not have that experience. Uh, and the second thing is um, we need a candidate who can win this year. And our campaign has demonstrated that we've gotten not only Democrats, but also disaffected independents and Republicans to support us. So those are two of the biggest differences. And then the final one is political courage. I think the number one question anyone should ask before voting for a candidate is what are they prepared to lose their office over? And it's clear that, and I've made the clear throughout the campaign, I'm prepared to lose my office over doing what's right because it's not about me um, versus if you elect someone who's more of a, you know, political uh, a product of the political establishment, well, they are thinking about self-preservation. And that's a big difference uh, in this race. 
When when it comes to the Senate itself, I I'm very confused. The Senate rules are very confusing, and I ask uh, a couple of different political scientists every every time something happens. I'm like, did this get a vote or did it get a filibuster? No vote. Um, right. And this just happened last week. I think even if you know John Stewart from The Daily Show, former host of The Daily Show, talking about this uh, this veterans. Um, healthcare bill over fire pits, right? Like veterans that were exposed to toxins through fire pits and Republicans voted against it when a month or two months ago, they voted overwhelmingly for it. 84 think, I think senators voted for it. Um, what's going on in the Senate that, that it just seems frustrating to me that nothing, nothing of consequence seems to get done. And then we, we talk about changing the filibuster rules. We only do that to change the filibuster rules for other people that make rules. So we change the filibuster rules for like Supreme Court justices to get nominated, but we don't do that for things that are actually going to fix or help or affect everyday people. Right. Right. So what you're speaking to is the system that's broken. And that's why, like I said at the debate, if you're not talking about changing the system, you're frankly just wasting voters time. Uh, you got to take on some of the root issues here. And what you're speaking to is a culture and a set of incentives in Washington that's more about self-preservation and who's in power. And what happened in the specific case of the medical benefits for uh, veterans who got exposed to the burn pits is uh, Mitch McConnell and some of the Republican leadership, they got pissed off that the Democrats were moving a bill forward and they didn't want to give get them a win. And so they switched a lot of their votes from yes to no on a pretty common sense bill and so, again, what you're hearing here is it's not about the veterans. It's not about American competitiveness, which is what one of the other bills was related to uh, investing in our semiconductor chip capacity in America. It's, it's about who's setting themselves up for the next midterm election. And that is the deeper issue here. What I saw, look, my organization, Millennial Action Project, grew to be the largest organization of young elected legislators in the country. That's what's given me the more the most federal legislative experience out of anyone in the race. And so I saw firsthand what really goes on. And for a lot of members of Congress, they're just thinking about survival, the next election, who's scoring points. And it's not that they're necessarily bad people. They're living and operating under a broken system that's become all about the money. I often point to in our campaign where members of Congress are not doing their jobs. They're outside of the office most of the time, across the street in a windowless conference room, fundraising most of the time. Meanwhile, you've got lobbyists coming in to hand them legislative text. So that's the underlying problem here, Rick. And that's why, for example, if you take an issue like Roe v. Wade, just saying codify Roe v. Wade doesn't make it so. You got to say, what are you going to do differently than all the other Democratic senators to get this over the uh, the finish line? And that's why I'm talking about money in politics, the primary system, the root incentives that make it more profitable for these leaders like Mitch McConnell to often keep issues unresolved on the ballot to gin up votes and money as opposed to actually resolving them in a constructive way. All right, I bring this up uh, every once in a while. This is my this is my fixing money in politics. Uh, things don't get to contribute to campaigns. Things like entities, corporations, whatever. Only people do, and you only get let's say fifteen dollars, maybe twenty five. I think fifteen is a good number. Not even a twenty dollar bill. 
you get $15 and you can donate that, that, that to any candidate in the race. You can only do it uh, one time. Like you can only do it to, you know, you can't, you can't donate to your campaign multiple $15. I can give you $15. I could give all the, all the candidates $15 in the race, but I can only do it one time. And so only people can do that. Does that solve anything or is that a terrible idea? No, it's, I think there are, that's one of the leading proposals. It's called democracy dollars or in the city of Seattle, they have a program, uh, uh, around vouchers. Um, there are others that give you tax credits. So there are a lot of great proposals to do exactly what you're talking about. And the one that we pushed, uh, in the state of Connecticut, my organization, millennial action project, uh, basically says, if you can crowdfund a, a certain amount of money from your local community, and demonstrate viability, then you get a competitive grant from the government to run a real campaign. And so what that does is it changes who's able to run for office in the first place. It's not just people who have a rich uh, spouse or member of their family, but really, you know, if you got the money, then you can actually get your ideas out there and come from a more working class uh, background. And so that is extremely uh, important. And um, and so I but here's an important contrast in the race. If you look at our money and politics proposal, it's by far the most comprehensive. And it's based on my pretty deep experience working on these issues. Um, I'm the only one actually who has a campaign finance reform proposal. The lieutenant governor's proposal has two bullet points. One is overturn Citizens United, which obviously I support. But a U.S. senator cannot unilaterally do that. Uh, and the second is the Honest Ads Act, which not only do I support, I helped to create that bill uh, in Congress. And it basically says uh, transparency for uh, some of the foreign ads that are going up on social media. And social media isn't required right now to disclose as much as broadcast ads. So those are important things. But those are not the things that you talked about, Rick, which is a real transformative form of public financing for elections that it changes and diversifies who runs for office. So again, the big choice for everyone who's tuning in right now is do you want real change or establishment uh, status quo? And that is the, the choice here. Yeah, I, it's, I think my proposal is kind of funny because it'd be $15, but the, I think it's more funny when the cap is, I, I want to say some of the caps are like $1,000 in a, an assembly race or $20,000 in a Senate race. Um, like what, what everyday person is, is it, because we don't like any of you politicians anyway, right? Like we don't, why That's would right. we want to spend any money to you? So who is giving this money? The people that just can throw it around and don't care about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People who can throw it around and people who have a transactional goal in mind, either someone's trying to curry favor with a politician who wants to be friends with that politician because money does buy access. There's absolutely a pay to play uh, in Congress, uh, you know, just think about our senators, whether Democrats or Republicans, who do they spend time with? Well, you're mo- much more likely to get a meeting with them if you've maxed out at twenty nine or fifty hundred dollars, not to mention if you might give to their super PAC. So that's the real issue that's going on right now. And I think your proposal, Rick, is, is fantastic. Now, who's the one who's actually moved that? The one who has successfully passed bipartisan campaign finance reforms or someone uh, who hasn't? So that again, they're real contrasts and real choices in this race. Uh, just last thing, because I, you know, you're in, you you want to be in the Senate. Uh, I think everyone 
most people, I think, just go, hey, fix it. The gas prices are too high. Inflation is increasing. Do you have do you have an easy answer in a couple of just I got a couple minutes here, but do you have like an easy answer? Like this is what we need to start doing. This is how the government would kind of help out in that regard. I feel like the House is passing some legislation, but it'll never get through the Senate again. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think we need to look at the root causes here, which is the supply chain shocks that have resulted from the pandemic. And when you heard the other candidates in the debate talk about this issue, they were talking about all kinds of things that are unrelated. I'm taking on the root issue. And as a U.S. senator, I can help open up and ease some of those uh, supply chain bottlenecks. And then the Federal Reserve obviously has a big role. And I would support the president using the Defense Production Act to also help open up the supply chain issues a little bit more. But what I do not support is a gas tax holiday. And this is where I'm different than the other candidates. This is a great example of political expediency over doing what's right. The gas tax holiday would actually aggravate the problem because it would increase demand in the short term, which would actually drive up prices without addressing the root issue of the supply chain and the, the oil refining capacity uh, that affects uh, gas prices. And it's shown through the data that the profits for um, uh, the, the gain of a gas tax holiday would go towards oil companies and, and gas uh, stations and not be felt really by the consumer. So um, I'm standing with Barack Obama, who in 2008 decided that he would not support a gas tax holiday when everyone else was talking about it. So again, political expediency and just saying what sounds nice versus looking into an issue and addressing the root problem. Another key difference here, who has the political courage to say what you need to hear as opposed to what you just want to hear? Uh, I'll give you one of my other boneheaded ideas. Uh, a corporate, like in, I'm I'm pretty big sports fan. NBA, NFL, they have salary caps. What about like a CEO salary cap? In, in, uh, along a CEO salary cap or some kind of balance, like the CEO makes this, and then your bottom paid worker has to make a certain percentage in reference to that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, in, in the I think that's really compelling because right now you have CEOs who, are, especially in Wall Street and other industries are making many, many times more money. And, and it's just growing out of proportion and driving the inequality um, in our society. I wouldn't want the government to be too prescriptive. Um, I'm someone who has been an entrepreneur and, you know, I wouldn't want the government sort of, you know, uh, dictating exactly kind of the salary scale of my employees. Uh, but at the same time, I do think the wealth inequality has gone far too extreme. And we need a senator who actually uh, is going to take on some of the big money interests, especially Wall Street, uh, where they keep getting away with scandals without any accountability, and the executives always get these golden parachutes. You need a U.S. senator who's actually going to stop that and address the root issue, which is they have millions of dollars of lobbyists' money going into Congress, and that's the funding stream I will end in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, it always goes back to that. Stephen Alicara, he's one of five Democratic candidates running to replace Ron Johnson in the Senate. Primary ends on Tuesday. I'll say it ends on Tuesday. It's the last day to vote. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks for having me. People can vote early right now, and people can spoil their ballots and revote if they voted for someone who's already dropped out of the race. And uh, we ask for your vote, and thanks uh, for having me on, Rick. Yep. All right. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> All right. We got to take a break. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line. If you want to shoot me a text, Juan Jimenez is the Lacrosse School Board president. Another another school board meeting, another exciting 
school board meeting per se. I, I don't know if exciting is the word you would describe it, but there's always some some action going on, whether that be teachers calling for, for higher uh, pay increases due to inflation. And now, you know, lacrosse school board member Rob Abraham in, in protest to, I guess maybe it, it, what he sees as only two alternatives to the school consolidation plan. He resigns from the board. Did you did you have any inkling inclining that this was coming? One, I had no idea that that was going to happen last night. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I don't. I don't. I, you know, I we I could sit here and analyze why. And Rob will be on the wisdom tomorrow morning. But uh, if you're if you're upset over what the school board is doing, and you're the lone voice. Uh, it, voting against some of these things, I don't. I don't understand why resigning would be the answer, and and I don't need you to 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 guess either. But um, what 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 do you see as Rob's Rob's complaints? Could you have any like rebuttal to to what he's saying as uh, as the school district tries to pass a hundred ninety five million dollar referendum to go into the train building as one high school, and then Dr. Aaron Engel, the superintendent, put out a letter to parents last Friday. And in there, in the midst of that letter, it said, you know, if the train alternative doesn't work, if the referendum doesn't pass, it just seemed like the the next step would be everyone moves, all the high schoolers go to Central, and Logan, you know, dissolves into a probably a middle school, I would say. Sure. Um, what I would say to that is, um, you know, I, I appreciate Rob's service uh, to the to the school board, and uh, you know, I am I am sad that that he is leaving. Uh, the school board because he did bring a different perspective to our deliberations. You know, I I disagree that uh, with with some of the comments that he made last night during his public comments. Uh, you know what what Dr. Engel was trying to do uh, in the letter that he shared was really talk about the referendum as it is. There's always going to be in every referendum that I've been a part of in the state of Wisconsin uh, two parts. There's the part that everybody really knows very well. What happens if the referendum passes? But there's also the part of what happens if the referendum fails. And there's, there's a lot of what if on the, on the side of what happens if the referendum fails. Because, you know, if the state legislature were to actually start funding public education as it should or re- eliminate vouchers uh, statewide, there would be more money to provide the public schools. You know, we may not need to do a number of things that we are required to do. We might be able to pay our teachers the way we're supposed to. So, you know, one of the things he's trying to do and that the board is also trying to do is be very transparent and say, look, these are potential things that could happen. He, if I remember correctly in the wording, he said in the next five to 10 years, he did not say tomorrow. He did not say uh, as soon as the referendum fails. This is not the only option this is one of a number of options. The population study uh, that was part of the uh, first set of meetings that we talked, uh, that we shared with the um, community, talked about population trends in lacrosse, but I would say nationally, as I said before, um, is showing that we're going to be in a population decline. We are going to see less students within the school district of lacrosse. So he is just trying to get the the community ready that at some point in time, there is going to be a need to reduce. Um, my understanding is that Central can hold somewhere in the vicinity of between 15 and 1600 students. I believe Logan can hold somewhere between 1000 and 1100 students. So it would make sense that Central 
being able to hold more students would be the school that we would need in the short term to hold more students because uh, that, like I said, in my mind, as we go down, uh, we're going to need more space. And over time, we would reduce the number of students just because of population. Now, there may be other things that will happen. Uh, There could be other opportunities. But again, he's trying to be transparent. I look to Sparta. Sparta had a referendum that failed. And then there was um, a community uproar about the decisions that the school district had to make in order to uh, deal with their financial outlook. We don't want that to happen here. We want people to be knowledgeable and informed and get their information from the primary source, which is the school district, not secondhand, not thirdhand. Well, when when Engel sends this letter and it went to the school district, we had to ask for it, so it, it wasn't mm-hmm. it didn't go to the media. It went to and and that's fine. I mean, it's, it's going to send it's, but if you're going to ask the community to put a referendum out, then maybe the letter needs to go to everybody uh, in the community. Well, maybe be starting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and, I, and, and from what the way, the way I read the letter, and I, I and you know, if, if I just want to take the the paragraph about you know all these yeah. kids would go to Central High School, it, it almost seemed like either it's an ultimatum. Hey, if you don't pass this referendum, then the ultimatum is all, everyone goes to Central High School. It's almost a threat. And but the other way you could take it is is, is Engels trying to push people to, you know. To pass the referendum, but it might, I feel like that almost might backfire the way it's proposed that way, that way in the letter. Yeah, and I guess, I, you know, I, I cannot, I can't stop people from reading it the way that they're going to read it. Uh, what I can say is that it is not an ultimatum. It is not uh, intended to be a, you know, I, I think the word that you use is threat. That is not ever how um, I would uh, function. And that is not the way Dr. Engel functions. This is, this is truly about where our finances are. I mean, what I, what I found out, and again, I've only been on the board for four years, but uh, as we've gone through the process from the beginning, from you know, almost two years ago when we first started the referendum process where we asked the community for input, and they, we said, you know, of these options, which one in the ideal world would you prefer and they chose the one that had the combination high school. And then we took that and we said, okay, we're going to try to get you the cost to move to one high school. We got that. We presented it in May. And we said it'll cost 194.6. Do you still want to proceed? And we got the vote close, but the vote basically saying yes. We decided as of July 18th, the board took a vote to say we will proceed with referendum. So prior to July 18th, we were gathering information. Mm. Now we will move forward with the referendum to say this is why we see that this is something we need to move forward with. But a decade before, the school district administration was actually looking at different ways to look at their facilities and potentially needing to adjust the facilities. This was one of their options that they had on there, but they were able to look at creative solutions that didn't require changing of facilities. There are no other creative solutions left. That's where we're at. We are trying our hardest to find ways to support our community, to maintain our educational quality. We're also trying very hard to ensure our teachers and other employees, educational employees, are getting the pay they deserve. And as you saw on July 18th, we couldn't meet that. 
just oh. because of our financial picture. When you say so there's that, no that, when when you say there's no creative so- solutions left, and we're talking with Juan Jimenez, he's the Lacrosse School Board President. Are you saying that it's the train building or the central move? Everyone moving the central plan? Are there no other alternatives? Well, what I'm talking about is we are moving forward with the train uh, solution as the referendum because that's the one that your community chose. Yeah. That is not a choice that was made by the superintendent. That was not a choice that was made by the school board alone. That was the choice that was made through these focus groups by yeah. the community over the course of time. Yeah, definitely. But there is also other things, right? I mean, the, the, the school district over the course of a decade has tried different ways uh, to manage their finances, right? Now, again, I've only been on the board four years, so um, I, don't, I can't speak to what they have done prior to, the, to that time. But what I can say is this district has done its absolute best to ensure educational quality, and we are still continuing to do that as well. Yeah, I mentioned earlier in the show the $81 million in deferred maintenance. So something was happening there where we weren't maintaining the buildings or we didn't have funding to maintain the buildings. I don't, I don't really understand how you get that far in the hole. Um, but that, well, but that's I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's the, again, it's the, the, it's the state legislature not providing enough funding for their schools. I mean, in the last biennium, the, the state legislature provided an increase of absolutely zero dollars for their schools. So we, it, it's not like utilities have stayed at zero percent increase. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, any other costs or expenses have not increased, but yet the amount of money coming into the schools has not increased. That's how it happens because we have to defer maintenance in order to pay our expected bills. Um, does anyone talk about just leaving the two high schools as high schools and then making the and then having the middle schools go to the high schools too? When I went to Hortonville, we had a high school and a middle school in the same building. So what I would say is again, so where we are at is we had provided the community multiple choices. The community chose this one. And that is why we are proceeding forward with this option for the referendum. Yeah, I, I get that. If I just wonder. Yeah, if the referendum doesn't, if the referendum does not pass, then we will have to look at what are some other options. Right. And again, that's why I think that what Dr. Engel was trying to do is to provide. This is a potential thing that could happen. We are trying to be as transparent as possible. So, you know, there may be other things to discuss. And again, there may be, I really hope, I'm crossing my fingers, there could be a situation where the state legislature realizes that we are it's being inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years, and they may come back in session and provide more funding to school. That would be fantastic. And there may be other things that could happen then. But until we know for sure what happens with the referendum, I think that's another piece of the puzzle. We're trying to do our best given the situation as it is. But we also do not want to hold information back from our community. Our community deserves to know all the information as best as we can. And as the community has questions or concerns, I would encourage them, bring them to the information sessions. Bring them with you, get those questions answered, so that when you go vote, you are an informed citizen and you can make the best decision for the long-term stability of our community and our school district 
Yeah, and then just real quick, last thing is the the timeline for this. You know, whether it's the train building, whether it's the the central plan, or I think my plan's a good one. Uh, is it is it like yeah. five years down the road, <laughs> ten years down the road? I mean, and 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 I bring that up because obviously you have to be yeah. thinking like, oh, if the referendum does a pass, what's plan A? What's plan B? What's plan C after that? But um, what is the timeline for all this stuff? Sure. So I mean, if the referendum were to pass, then. Uh, I believe we, we've talked about a four-year window uh, from uh, completion of the referendum to the opening of the new building. So that my understanding is that's where we're at with that. If the referendum were not to pass, I mean, there, there's a number of different things we would need to look at in order to determine what, what happens when and in what time frame. So I don't want to speculate on that side of things just yet because there's, there's too many things that we would need to look at overall. In short, what I can tell you is we are inefficient. We are inefficient in terms of facilities. And you pointed out 80-some million dollars. When I started running, just here's an interesting tidbit. When I started running for school board in, De- in December, it was $76 million. It's now 81. It's not getting any better. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's another thing that we need to focus on is that the longer we wait, the more it's going to cost. Right. The longer that this becomes an issue or the longer we, you know, um, you know, the longer we uh, don't focus in on what reality is, which is we have we are in an inefficient facilities uh, district, then the longer uh, we are going to stop seeing what the reality is, which is we need to do something different. We are not providing the right resources to our students within the classroom because we are spending the money on our facilities yep. and that is not right and dr jimenez says that because the district according to a release a couple months ago the district maintains 15 buildings including the two high schools uh similar size districts in the state have about 10 to 11 buildings so we have four too many buildings what would we do with those buildings juan would we sell them turn them into something well, i don't know I, right i mean and i think that that's where there i, I think there's a lot of distinct possibilities of what could happen and that would be you know what could we do and you know i'm i'm always curious as to what could happen and i would love to find different partnerships um you know i'd love to talk to the city i'd love to talk to the county i mean there's there's so many opportunities there um i would not want to close the door on anything that's a potential so um you know there's so many opportunities, but again, I think I would rather focus in on what is it, what is going to do right by our students? What is going to ensure we have high quality education? And, you know, for me, the, the, one of the key pieces for me of this referendum is that we could potentially become the school of choice in Western Wisconsin for career and technical education. Right. That it, to me, that is an area that is huge right now in education for our communities. It is a desperate need for our communities, All right. and we could be that spot. All right, Juan, I got to let you go. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, thank you. Take care. All right, that's all the time I have for today. Thanks everybody for listening.